So who are you at your worst? On your worst day, what do you like? If you don't have any idea, you might want to turn to the person next to you and ask them, because for sure they know. But think about it. On your worst day, what do you like? Are you irritable? Are you volatile? Do you get quiet and retreat to your space? What do you like on your worst day? Now hear this. The Lord knows who you are on your worst day. He's not surprised by it. He's not put off by it. He's not frightened by it. The rest of us might be, but he's not. The good news for you is this. On your worst day, Jesus loves you. On your worst, angriest, hangriest, nastiest day, Jesus sees you and he's still willing to serve you mercy and grace. Now think back to to the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus has set a table, we call it the Last Supper, with his disciples. And who are his disciples around that table? Not, not, not who are they by name, but are they the, their best selves or are they, are, are they about to be their worst selves? I mean, if you know the story, you know that they're about to be the worst versions of themselves. Yes, you know, famously, Judas is going to betray Jesus, Peter is going to deny Jesus, but within a matter of hours, they all turn their backs and scatter on Jesus. They're all about to be the worst versions of themselves and have their worst possible day. And none of this, John tells us, none of this is a surprise to Jesus. He knows all of this is going to happen. He knows what they're like on their worst day and that their worst day is just moments away. And yet still, what does he choose to do? He chooses to serve them and to love them and to humble himself before the ones who will betray him. Let's look at these words again. Starting at verse 4. Jesus laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He not only served them, he put on the costume of a servant. And then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the takeaway from this moment. If you, if you get anything from this message, let it be this. Jesus insists on serving and loving his disciples even on the worst of days. Jesus insists on serving and loving his disciples that includes you, even on, especially on, your worst of days. That's your takeaway for this morning. Now, we're continuing a teaching series that we started last week called The Space Between, where we're recognizing the fact that there are important relationships in our life uh, with people that we love, people that matter, but something happens, and where there should be no space between us, there is suddenly distance between us. Somebody said something, somebody did something, someone just tends to carry themselves in a certain way that rubs you the wrong way, and all of a sudden, where there should be no space, where there should be a relationship that you love and enjoy, where you're deeply connected, all of a sudden now there's distance to the point where you don't even want to be in the same room with them. 
When somebody invites you to a party, your first question is, I wonder if they're going to be there. All of a sudden, there's space between you. And what we're talking about in this series is how followers of Jesus can, can close that gap and bring health and healing and wholeness to those important relationships because we're not meant to live with, with space between us and the people around us. And our model, our example in this, of course, is Jesus. And we look at how he has bridged the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness through his own life and death and resurrection. And so we look at what Jesus has done to cure the space between us and the Father, and we, as his followers, we say, well, how can we apply that to the space between us and all the people around us? And so last week we started with with this discovery, that, that Jesus makes a choice. He chooses presence over distance. If you're going to love somebody, you got to be with somebody. First things first, choose to be in the room with them. I know it's hard. Choose to share some space with them. Uh, get into close proximity with them. You can't love well from far away. And in order to reconcile our relationship with the Father, Jesus chose presence over distance. And so we talked about doing that in our dysfunctional relationships as well, choosing presence over distance. And today, what we're talking about is this, the fact that Jesus chose a posture of humility instead of a position of authority. When it came to his disciples, when it comes to all of us, Jesus chose a posture of humility, and he set aside his position of authority. Now, in order for this to make sense, we we need to distinguish a bit between uh, a position that you have and a posture that you take. For the sake of our discussion, positions will be defined this way. It's a role that you play in somebody else's life or a belief that you hold to deeply. A position is a role that you play in somebody else's life or a belief that you hold to deeply. So looking at my own family, and when it comes to my kids, I have the position of dad. It's an important role. It's an important position that I have in their life. And that position itself demands certain respect and certain amounts of love. And there's also certain positions that I hold to as a dad that are really important to me. Position number one, we do everything mom says. Like everything flows downhill from there. And the list goes on. And you have certain positions that you hold as well, roles that you play and beliefs that you hold tightly to. Now, the posture is different. The posture is the approach you take with somebody else. It's the attitude you take towards somebody else who holds a different position. You see the distinction there? And so here's what happens when space gets created between you and somebody else. Usually what happens is the space is created because that other person has offended or rejected your position in their life. They've offended or rejected the role that you play or some deeply held belief that you have. So thinking theologically, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rejected God's position of authority. They said, no, we don't want to do that. We would love to have your job. And everything fell apart from there. And then on a daily basis, you and I do the same thing. We're constantly rejecting God's position of authority in our lives. And we're saying the same thing Adam and Eve did. We would like to do things our way. That's in essence what sin is. And then all the dysfunction in humanity flows out from there. Now, thankfully, Jesus Christ has bridged the gap that's created by our sinfulness, by our rejection of God's authority, 
And even though we still struggle with it, there's no gap between us and God because of it. Jesus Christ has fixed that. But again, thinking to the relationships that you have, the space between you and somebody else was in all likelihood created because this other person offended or rejected some role you play or some important position that you hold. They voted for the other guy and they rejected your deeply held political position. And now you're like, you can't even be at the same table with them because it's just going to devolve into an argument. Or they rejected your position in their life, uh, the role that you play. I'm your father. I deserve more respect. Or they rejected a deeply, deeply held theological belief. Your daughter came home from college and said, you know what, I'm not sure if I believe anymore. And all of a sudden, you feel personally rejected and you feel like there's a space between the two of you. Space gets created when our positions are offended or rejected. That's how this happens. Now, the question is, how do these things get fixed? Well, we started that conversation last week. You've got to choose to be around the person you don't want to be around. But there's more. If space gets created when someone offends or rejects your position, the only way it gets mended is if someone chooses a humble posture. The only way it can start to get mended is if you, yes, share space and time with them, but when you show up in that space and when you spend that time with them, you choose to embody a humble posture. If you hold tight to your position, everybody just stays in their corner and they say, I'm going to demand a certain level of respect. My position requires a certain level of kindness, a certain type of engagement, and I will not move toward you until you move toward me. Well, if everyone insists on holding tight to their positions, then everyone will stay in their respective corners. It's only when somebody in the dynamic says, look, I may be right, but I can't be right and loving at the same time. I can't be in the right, apparently, and in this relationship. So I'm going to have to change my posture, though I hold the right position. I'm going to have to change my attitude and my approach and how I engage this person. Uh, Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist, and he's written a series of, of really popular books. And one of the things that he puts forth is that most people, when when they are wronged by somebody else, they immediately hold tight to one of three postures that ultimately, I believe, are, are unhelpful. He says most people adopt either the posture of a, of a preacher, a prosecutor, or a politician. They adopt the posture of a preacher, a prosecutor, or a politician. You're preaching when you deliver a heartfelt defense of your position that the other person's rejected. You're prosecuting, that's your posture, when you see the faults in the other person's position and you try to prove them to be faulty. You're a politician when you say, look, I just want you to like me, and you do anything you can to get them to like you and your position again. Now, if, if what he says is true... I would say that, that ultimately these three things aren't all that helpful. They're not helpful postures because they're still defensive. And they're, they're very much focused on yourself. See things my way. Like me. Uh, join my side. 
believe things the way I do. What's ultimately helpful is not a posture of preaching, prosecuting, or politicking. What's helpful is a posture, a humble posture of service. And that's what we see Christ doing. He he assumes a humble posture of service with his disciples, ultimately with the whole world, and this is his means of erasing the space between us. What Christ would ultimately do is set aside his position, take the posture of servant in order to restore the relationship. Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet was a way of him demonstrating to them the kind of savior he was going to be. That's why he says to Peter, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but but later, once I die and rise, you're going to see what all this means. This is the kind of savior that I am. I save not by standing in my position of authority, but by taking the posture of a humble servant. And washing the feet was the best way for Jesus to illustrate that to his disciples. He was going to close the gap, not by standing in front of the world and prosecuting God's case, but by taking the form of a servant and sacrificing himself for others. This is what Paul gets at in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Christ was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He took the form of a servant, the posture of humility, and what he's saying to his disciples in washing the feet, this is how I'm going to save humanity. But he goes further, I want you to do the same thing. Now, now some take this very literally, and they believe that they should go around untying the shoes of others and washing their stinky feet, which if that's what you want to do, sure, go for it. But that's not quite the point Jesus is making. Jesus is talking about not the act of washing feet, but the posture of humility. He's saying, you see me taking a posture of humility despite the position of authority that I have. Choose the posture of humility in order to fix the relationships. Jesus is saying, I'm washing your feet. I'm a humble servant. This is how I'm going to write the relationship of the world to its maker. And you should do the same. This is how you're going to write the relationships with people around you. Don't hold on to your position Assume a humble posture. And in case you're wondering whether or not Jesus says you need to do this, look again at John 13, verse 15. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So what this means is, if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ and you've got some sideways relationship that shouldn't be sideways, there's space where there shouldn't be space, What this means is that you have now a question in front of you. Are you going to to hold tight to your position and say, I'm the father, I deserve this. Or I'm in the right and I believe this. Are you going to hold tight to those things? Or are you going to assume Jesus' posture with that person and humble yourself 
and seek to love and to serve them. Now, I don't want to understate how difficult this is to do. Just be humble. Just serve them. Just just look out for their well-being and their good. Next time you're with them, just serve them. I don't want to underplay how how difficult of a thing this is. And I think Jesus' act of washing feet, he illustrates how hard this is. Again, it's hard for us to grasp just how humiliating of a task this was for someone in Jesus' position to do. Rabbis did not wash the feet of their disciples. That was the work of the servant class. And in the first century, they were very class-oriented. It was also a shame and honor culture. You didn't do anything that would bring shame upon your image, upon your name, upon your standing, upon your class. This simply was not done. And when you understand the visuals of it, some of the, some of the crazy nature of this comes to life. You may not know this, but when Jesus and his disciples were, were having their last meal together, it, it, it didn't look like the painting. There was no big, long table with everybody sitting on one side in chairs. When they, when they ate a meal, it was at a table that was maybe five, six inches off the ground, just barely off the ground. And this is why it's often said that they reclined at table. It's not that they had recliners at the table. They reclined at table because you had to lay down in order to be at the table. You would, you would lay on your side, feet sprawled out behind you, Your left elbow up, you always ate with the right hand, leaned on your left elbow. Your left elbow was at the side of the table, and you would eat like this while your legs are spread out behind you. Now, if someone, the servant, is going to come and wash your feet, it's a particularly humbling, if not humiliating, task because you're you're sprawled out on the floor. So in order to wash your feet, what do they have to do? They have to get down onto the ground, lay on the ground next to you, and wash your feet. And what's... What's kind of extra disrespectful in all this is that because you're laying down on the ground, your feet are out behind you. You don't even look at them. You don't even dignify them. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, humbly serve them. And I'll tell you what, you might know this, humble is Humble is no fun. You may not be washing feet, but man, it sure smells like it, doesn't it? No one likes humble. So what are you supposed to do for this person? What does washing feet equal then? The next time you're with this person, what does it mean practically to to take this humble posture for the sake of bridging the gap between the two of you? Well, I think think you're going to have to answer that in your own unique way the next time you're with this person, but I think it begins by asking a different question the next time you're with this person. See, if the the next time you have an interaction, you're all about your position, you're going to walk in there asking this question, what do I deserve? I mean, I know I'm right. What do I deserve? I know who I am. I'm their dad. I'm their aunt. I'm their boss. What do I deserve? What do I deserve? You're going to ask that question. What do they need to give to me? And first things first, you got to let go of that question. Instead, you embrace a different question altogether. 
You walk into that room, you walk into that space, you sit down at that table, and rather than say, what do I deserve by virtue of my position? And instead you ask, what do they need from me as a servant? And that's when it starts to smell like feet. (laughs) What do they need from me in order to feel loved? What do they need from me in order to feel respected? What do they need from me in order to feel like I'm showing them dignity? What what, what do they need from me? And and it's usually small things like we talked about last week, but, but that's the question you ask. What do they need from me as a servant? Not what do I deserve by virtue of my position. What do they need from me as a servant? And then, and then you do it. And you might have to bite your tongue so hard it bleeds. But you do it. I'm not saying you let yourself get abused or walked all over. You get to have certain dignity and standards too. But you ask that question. You answer it. And then you do it. And now, I, I get it. You, you might be listening to this and, and think, man, that sounds so weak. It, and I hate being weak. And, and on one hand, certainly it looks like weakness, but <clears throat> let, let, me, let me flip that table around for you a little bit. Humble service is actually a sign of strength. Did you know that? I mean, John gets at this when he tells us about Jesus being willing to wrap a, a towel around his waist. What he says is Jesus knew who sent him, Jesus knew where he was going in the end and how this was all going to turn out. And then that becomes his motivation to put the towel around his waist and humiliate himself. Jesus' act of service flowed not from weakness, but it flowed from confidence. It flowed from confidence knowing who he was, whose he was, the mission he had, and how it was all going to end up. And that gave him the confidence to say, my status in the eyes of the Father and my mission are not compromised by me doing something humble. And so he was free to serve. He was free to serve. It wasn't a sign of weakness. It's an expression of freedom. Because Jesus knew who he was and where he was going in the end and how this was all going to turn out, it gave him freedom to choose something that most everybody else would refuse to do. Now, if you're here and you're a baptized child of God, here's what you need to be reminded of you have the exact same confidence. You know whose you are. Whose are you? You're the Father's. You know what you have. What do you have? Grace, mercy, forgiveness, a spirit inside of you. You know how this is all going to turn out. Yeah, you might have to go through some stuff between now and then, but you know how this is all going to turn out. It all ends in life, in beauty, in glory. You, You know the same things that Jesus Christ knew because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that is meant to give you confidence, not confidence that you can just hold to your positions and keep everyone at odds with you, but confidence so that you can lay your positions aside and boldly embrace a posture that everybody else thinks they're too good for and be a servant because you know who you are, whose you are, 
how this all turns out. And so you're free to ask the question, what do they need from me as a servant? And it stinks, but it's beautiful. Not too long ago, I asked my wife, Lisa, I, I asked her, what am I like when I'm at my worst? And she very quickly had an answer. <laughs> uh, she said, oh, when, when, you're, when you're in an awful mood, uh, you, are, you are quiet, you are distant, and the whole house gets tense. And I was like, that seems pretty accurate. And, and I said, well, then what do I need when I'm in one of those moods? What do, what do you try to, to, to give to me? And she said, space. <laughs> And then she did two other things. She said, I try, to be, I try to be encouraging to you, encouraging you to engage with the family because I tend to retreat. And then she said, I, I try to give you some words of affirmation because that's how I'm wired. Those are things that kind of talk me out of my worst version of myself. And so then she turned the tables on me. She said, Matt, what am I like when I'm at my worst? And I thought about that for a long time. <laughs> and I said, you know what, honey? I can't answer that question. And she said, why can't you answer that question? I said, because you know what? You've never had a bad day. <laughs> Is that the right answer? Please let that be the right answer. Uh, one of the keys to success in marriage is a mutual posture of service. Also, real tiny lies, like real tiny. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Don't lie to your spouse. Unless they ask you the question my wife asked me. But other than that. Think about the person you're sideways with where there's the space. What are they like on their worst day? What makes you want to be far from them? Think about it. Now ask yourself this question. Next time you're with them, maybe it's their worst day. What might they need from you? What would it look like for you to put the towel around your waist and do something most other people wouldn't. What would it look like? What would it be? Ask that question. And I know they hurt you. I know they wronged you. I know you've got a long list. I get it. And again, I'm not saying you need to let yourself be abused. I'm just saying that this is sometimes what love looks like. What do they need? Space gets created when someone offends your position. But here's what Jesus has taught us. It gets mended when someone who doesn't have to assumes a humble posture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son Jesus Christ laid aside his outer garment and washed the feet of the disciples and laid aside his glory and died on a cross. We thank you that he did not hold tight to his position and lord it over us and prosecute the case against us, but instead he took a humble posture and died for us so that the gap might be closed and we might have a right relationship with you, and we do. Father, having been so loved, help us seek to love. Amen.